We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hello listeners, wherever you are, and a warm welcome to episode 8 of the Highland Bullpen Baseball Podcast. Now the MLB season is really hotting up as we approach the playoffs, and here in the Highland Bullpen we've cranked up the temperature too. Bases Loaded this week features a discussion with the Bullpen Bros, myself, Alan and the two Daves, on the merits of NFL, and is gridiron really as good a sport as baseball? The seven-finning stretch quiz is reaching the end of its run as well. We're in at the eighth innings. Stay tuned to hear who's got the advantage going into the final ninth innings next week. And in an occasional series of the old ball game, Dave Senior looks back on the legendary career of Roberto Clemente. So stay tuned for all that and more on the Highland Bullpen Baseball Podcast. Let's get started with Bases Loaded. Another of America's favourite sports, American football or gridiron, whichever you prefer, has now started in earnest this season. But for baseball fans, I'm kind of intrigued to know how closely the baseball fans follow American football. It's been popular over here for quite a long time. I'll be honest, I, I, I like the sport, but I, I don't see why it's leapt out in front of baseball in terms of popularity within the UK. So first off, Alan, do you have a favourite NFL team? Do you, obviously, you're a Detroit Tigers fan. Does that mean you have to like the Lions as well? Yeah, that that confers a lifetime of misery, I think, on you as well, if you, if you speak to any Lions fans. I did initially when I... Started going to states initially. Spent a bit of time with good friends in the in the Carolinas. So I, I probably caught the best era of the Panthers as well when they got to uh, Super Bowl. But the Lions do seem quite a, a wee bit away from there. But yeah, I'm quite happy to to go all in. I do I do have my Matthew Stafford team jersey. I've I've seen the Lions get beat as well actually in the London series. I don't do they call it the London series. I've now got baseball terminology on on my brain. So I've seen the Lions get beat there. I've been a couple of times. I've been to a game at Wembley and a a game at Twickenham. Games that sell out, they have, I think this year they had scheduled four London games for the NFL. Sky Sports have just announced a dedicated NFL channel in the UK. If you talk to any of our contemporaries or fellow sports fans, as a general rule, any of them talking about American football will go to. I love that word, gridiron. So as somebody who has enjoyed watching it, because it's a sporting occasion, it's something to go and see, but now buying into baseball, I'm intrigued as to what the NFL did to become such a big thing in, in the UK. We see plenty of people in the UK wearing NFL tops. You'll occasionally see people wearing baseball caps. And we, we talked about this with Jason, although I think a lot of them are, are are tourist attraction things. So I'm interested in comparing the two games. I'm interested in understanding why people have bought into NFL and, and not so much into Major League Baseball. Well, uniquely then, Alan, you have been to a London event of MLB and a London, London events 
of American football as well. How did the experience compare? Uh, being with you three guys, the baseball was was fantastic. Uh, Rodeo, <laughs> Apologies to Tim and Ian. How did it compare? It similar in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of people around wearing gear, a lot of people having a drink, having a day out. All the razzmatazz of the occasion, uh, although I think the razzmatazz of the occasion for, for NFL is actually fairly common across the piece. In terms of understanding the game, probably put more effort into baseball, but there, there are aspects of the NFL, which is a game that's more closely aligned to the type of sports that we would watch in the UK. But there are aspects of it that I just don't quite understand or I've never then felt the desire to go and try and work out. Dave Senior, I'm just thinking here that with uh, Alan mentions the comparison with sports and rugby, Obviously, obviously, is the kind of the one that we would immediately think of. But I was thinking more particularly about rugby league as well, because rugby union historically yeah. was maybe a more free flowing game. You know, there wasn't quite as structured. But obviously, rugby league, you've got your set number of tackles, etc., yes. and stuff like that. Do you see the comparisons there then? There's definitely a similarity there, and um, you know, it's it's very unfortunate what's happened with the development of rugby league in. North America, where you've got the Toronto Wolfpack, there was another team about to set up in Canada, and you also had interest in uh, New York City. And it did feel that it was the kind of game because of its sort of similarities. Um, it's a big hit and <laughs> tough game, you know, impact kind of sport with a similar sort of, um, uh, not exactly a stop-start game. In fact, they've just changed the rules, haven't they, in rugby league um, the, with, the, with the COVID to, to make it even even faster. But there's definitely similarities. And actually, strangely, thinking back, uh, um, Alan was talking about what has happened to make it so popular. It was definitely in the 80s. The coverage on uh, Channel 4 was superb. It really was, and it was um, it was quite exciting. I had heard of it before then, even and this is going back a bit now. But at uh, primary primary school, and there was a great kicker at um, Leeds uh, Rugby League Football Club, now known as the Rhinos, Bev Risman, who rarely missed a place kick. And there was talk of um, American Gridiron being interested in actually signing him to go and kick for one of the teams. And we heard that, and we couldn't believe what we were hearing, that he wouldn't be required to play in the game. He would just come on and kick the goals. And we just looked at each other and said, well, that can't possibly be true. That's, that's not possible. So, I can't, uh, can't imagine Yorkshire folk, Dave, looking very kindly on that kind of pampered existence of just having yeah, to do a no, kick. It just, uh, just didn't, didn't sound uh, right. Obviously, that's the case now, and there's a there's a, a lot of a lot of pressure on the kicker, isn't there? You know, you probably uh, can understand why they do concentrate completely on on that that skill. I think it's a I think it is a, a good game, and yeah, the, the analogy with um, rugby league is definitely a good one. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see rugby league, um, you, you know, transported to uh, to America. I think it would be a great fit. And as a Red Sox fan, do you root for the, the Patriots in the world of American football? Uh, funnily enough, in, in the 80s, the, the team that I, I picked then was, the, I don't know why I can't remember, the, was the New York Giants. And uh, I really quite liked them. And uh, I'd never been to America until the early 90s. And we went to Boston to, and that's sort of my 
in 93, I think it was, when I first went to Fenway. And we took in a game at, it must have been an early season game at Foxborough. So this was 1993, before the Patriots were, you know, they won six, I don't know, Super Bowls, haven't they, in the last 20-odd years. But then they were one, them and the Buffalo Bills were probably the two you know, probably, uh, I don't know how you describe them. The whipping boys. They weren't very successful. And, um, but yeah, since then, I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go with them because uh, Lorraine supports the, she likes the hockey, so she supports the Bruins. They've been at the Celtics basketball team. So yeah, I, I threw my lot in with the, the Patriots in the, the late 90s. Complete the set. And, yeah. and, and Dave Jr., Obviously, you're a man who knows a lot about American sports and a real kind of wide variety of sports as well. I know you enjoy your your, your UFC and, and mixed martial arts as well. But in terms of American football, what's been your experience of watching it? And where do you think it got? How do you think it got ahead of baseball in terms of popularity within the UK? I'm, I'm the doom bringer, I'm afraid, Richard. Um, again, like most sports, I don't want to just judge them straight away. I'd rather get involved experience a few times because again baseball wasn't a sport that I would have thought caught my imagination it took to be immersed in a game and to enjoy it and to start understanding it to really appreciate the beauty that was there on show Uh, I've been to I think three games some of our more hardened American football fans might poo-poo on all three games two of which were the Claymores back in the day when they, they tried to make a real go of it here and the third time, the most recent, was over in Chicago when I got to visit Soldier Field. Uh, purely by chance, I was passing by, as you do, um, and there was a high school game on where, in the off-season. So I think it was St. Rita's versus St. Pat's. It, it was really taken seriously. I think <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. It was You, you obviously had lots of family and friends in, in the crowd, and there was thousands there. It was taken super seriously, but I've got to be honest, across all three games, I just didn't I didn't enjoy it. If I look at the actual aspects in, in detail, you know, it, it's an American sport. It's it's a very beloved sport. Each play is broken up by strategic decisions which will you know occur. So in those respects, it's very similar to baseball. So I don't know why it, I wouldn't take to that. It's just that I, perhaps I've, I've never been a huge rugby fan. I, I love watching internationals. I can't really take to rugby too much out with that. So I'd be really keen to hear if there are people who are big American football fans, but not rugby, or do the two always go hand in hand? I, I would imagine in the UK, to answer your question, uh, a love of rugby would lead on to a love of American football, but I might be wrong. But it'd be interesting to know if that existed the other way around. No, I think that's a really good point as well. One thing that always strikes me about the two, and I'm in no way denigrating American football, a fabulous sport and incredible athletes. I've always thought baseball seems a more natural sport. I've always thought there seemed something really artificial about American football, even in terms of the, the two-minute warnings, the, all the kind of ways that stuff seems to have been engineered and sometimes for the benefit of television rather than the benefit of the game. Whereas I think baseball remains remarkably similar to its roots in terms of just the mechanics of it, the breaks between innings that have always been there, all of that kind of stuff. And it just, to me, feels more natural. I'm a big, big fan of psychology. And sometimes I wonder if growing up, I would see sports without any sort of protection, no padding, nothing at all. And then all of a sudden you've got this sport where you're covered head to toe in protection. It's almost, you know, when you're a kid growing up and you suddenly see it, 
it's like watching gladiators um you know the old saturday afternoon tv show suddenly you get you know all these big guards over you and helmets and that's really foreign when you've been that used to watching most other sports so i wonder again i'm not poo-pooing at all what these guys go through because i think I was reading a study recently about the amount of the amount of football American football players who are turning away from American football and moving towards basketball and baseball, a, a lot more low impact sports uh, because the, the toll it must take in your body must be horrific. But I think when you're talking about the authenticity of a sport, perhaps the padding and the shielding takes away a little bit. It's just a something to put out there. Yeah, one one of the things I don't understand a couple of things you touched on there is so yeah, so. Like baseball, it's a stop-start game, but it's not sold as a stop-start game. In, in baseball, you know you've got nine innings, and you've got a both teams are, are taking their part of an inning. After every play, it's the same as after every pitch. But after every play, in what is supposed to be a free-moving game, you're, you're stopping and then you're resetting the, the, the play, which seems a little bit sort of strange and contradictory. So it starts to become a bit more like rugby league, but I think in rugby league they just the the there's not the same regrouping and what have you as you would have in NFL. So I find that it's just a little bit sort of strange. Intrigued as well in the psychology of, and David's talking about psychology there, of um, watching NFL because for our TV audiences in the UK, it's generally it's a Sunday evening entertainment. So one one of the things that's always crossed my mind was um, if I've sat down to watch a, a big premiership game on Sky on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Uh, am I then going to finish that at six o'clock and then go and watch another three or four hours of NFL? If, if you're a family guy, that just doesn't seem natural that you're then going to go and do all of that. So from a baseball perspective, when you can actually watch games subject to it being on at an, ex- an accessible time you can watch games any day of the week that must be a more attractive proposition i'd have thought to british people rather than you're committed to the sunday night after you've potentially watched liverpool and man city play, play a premiership game i guess as well i should clarify just for our american international audience that the scottish claymores were an american football team who played in nfl europe for I think around about 10 years from the later end of the 90s into the the noughties. The uh, I think they won World, won World Bowl from memory. They won one of those. And actually Gavin Hastings, the former Scotland international rugby star, played and, and place kicked for them as well. Might even have been in the World Bowl winning season. I can't remember. But NFL Europe was always seen as very much a, a poor cousin to, to the NFL. And that, that's another aspect as well about them. Um, I, I completely understand the likes of Hastings and the Leeds guy that Dave was talking about going into the kicking and that's a unique job. But one of the things that's confusing me, yes, in baseball, when you're batting, only your batter or the guys on base are, are out there. But you've got a core of a team who participate in the whole game. Whereas NFL, you've got your offensive team, you've got your defensive team, and you've got this specialist teams. Special teams, yeah. Special teams, the likes of the kickers. So that, for me, sort of breaks it up a little bit more as well. And that's maybe one of the things that I sort of found harder to, to watch and understand. So interested if people are listening in for their perception and their thoughts on NFL versus Major League Baseball. If you actually go to a game, they're both social experiences. But again, even having a beer at the baseball 
seems a much more natural process than having it in the NFL because you know at what stage the game is. In the NFL, you could go away and have a beer and you suddenly get a 50-yard punt or throw up the park and the whole uh, game has changed. Yes, you can get a, a home run, but you're not going to go for a beer if base is loaded or whatever. So it, it's easier to watch baseball with a beer in your hand as well, guys. I guess we're very lucky, Alan, that we've put in the hard yards to gain the experience to be expert beer drinkers in any number of scenarios and environments. So our hard work has certainly paid off over the years. But I was going to say one thing, a kind of closing thought on why Major League Baseball maybe hasn't taken off at the same speed as American football did. Now, guys, you've referenced the 1980s, and I remember that as well as the explosion in popularity of American football. It became the cool new American thing, along with Dallas and the other American things that we loved of that era. And I guess there's a bit there, as we touched upon with Jason there the other week as well, that baseball, the dimensions of the park, make it a very difficult thing to to play outside of the continental US. Very few of our sports stadiums can accommodate it, whereas American football has the advantage that you can literally play it in any number of stadiums in the UK and and be able to physically see it and know it's there. I think probably helped them kind of break into that virgin territory as it was for the time. But I forgot to ask Dave Jr. now, what's your American football affiliation then? Were your Chicago White Sox love? Does that make you a Bear? I guess being a Rangers fan, being, being a Bear's no hardship. You know, it, I mean, it would be, but I feel that if I throw my hat into the ring for any team, it, it makes it look as if I, I care, and I don't. I just, <laughs> the NFL, though, you're okay. I, I'm okay, thanks. Um, go back to one of Alan's points. I think he makes... For once, a really terrific point about the. Thank the, you. You're welcome. The the teams changing. I mean, we're all we're born and bred football fans, and the old phrase, you know, kicking and heading every ball on on the sidelines. You get the feeling as a as a football as a soccer fan when you're watching games, you get a flow for it. You know which players you want to see introduced to the field, which ones you want to come out. You get a real flow over ninety minutes. Perhaps that the point that Alan makes that at the you know the click of your fingers, you can have an entire team substituted off. There's no real flow there. You don't get the feeling that you're on a, on a journey with the player on the field because it really is just stop start. So no, I think that was a good point, Alan. Thank you again. That's your one for this year. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Highland Bullpen. We're also featuring on all the usual social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for the Highland Bullpen. On Twitter, our handle is at H-B-U-L-L-P-E-N, at H-Bullpen. At Instagram, it's Highland underscore Bullpen. And Facebook is quite simply the Highland Bullpen. We've also got our email address, highlandbullpen at gmail.com. We really appreciate those of you who've got in touch, asking questions. We are here to learn ourselves and we're here to help you guys learn as well. So feel free to contact us and follow us on any of those channels. Thank you. And now the Highland Bullpen goes back into the history books in one of our occasional series of features on the icons of baseball. Here's Dave Senior to chronicle the legendary Roberto Clemente. Roberto, the 1972 Epsom Derby winner and the Hall of Fame Pittsburgh Pirates right fielder. We're all sports fans on this podcast and something we try to do is weave baseball into other sports interests. 
such as football and cricket. Something I do remember from my rather misspent youth is perhaps an unlikely connection between horse racing and baseball. In 1972, the Epsom Derby was won by a horse called Roberto. And somewhere along the line, I heard that the horse was named after a baseball star. I was unaware of the details, but it stayed with me all these years. Roberto was a thoroughbred racehorse, owned and bred by John W. Galbraith in Kentucky, USA. He sent the horse to be trained by Vincent O'Brien in Ireland, and it famously won the Epsom Derby in 1972, ridden by Lester Piggott. Perhaps its most famous race, though, was when it beat the mighty and still unbeaten Brigadier Gerard in the inaugural Benson Hedges Gold Cup at York, now the Judgment International Stakes, which will be run this year on Wednesday the 19th of August, incidentally. Galbraith made his money from commercial property development and had a long association with the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team, acquiring majority control in 1950. He was their principal owner until 1985, during which time they won the World Series three times, in 1960, 1971 and 1979. In 1954, the Pirates signed, or rather drafted, Roberto Enrique Clemente Walker from the Brooklyn Dodgers. He had been a Puerto Rican professional baseball player with the Cangrejos de Santurce. Hmm. Not sure of my pronunciation there, but a cangrejo is a crab in Spanish, so they are the crab sellers of Santurce. Santurce being a district of San Juan, the country's capital. He was spotted by a Dodgers scout, but ultimately ended up in Pittsburgh. By the time Roberto Clemente went to play ball in America, the colour code had already been broken, so he didn't actually play in the Negro Leagues. However, the influence of those that had was there for Clemente, and must have been an inspiration to him. At that time, many black American players would spend their winters playing in the various Latin American winter leagues, including a certain Willie Mays, who lined up with Roberto Clemente in the outfield with those crabbers from Santurce. And what an outfield it must have been. Roberto Clemente was a huge success with the Pirates, and among his many awards was the National League's MVP in 1966. He was an all-star and a gold glover, and he helped the Pirates to win their first World Series in 35 years in 1960. So when a new fall was born on Mr. Galbraith's stud farm in Kentucky on the 16th of March, 1969, he named it Roberto after his star right fielder. In 1971, the Pirates won the World Series again, and Roberto Clemente was the MVP in that series. He is considered one of the sport's greatest of all time. He has 3,000 hits and was a great all-round player. Clemente, however, has a legacy beyond baseball. 
He was a humanitarian and undertook charity work in Puerto Rico and many other Latin American and Caribbean countries. His charity work in the postseason had taken him to Nicaragua in 1972, and when in December of that year Nicaragua suffered a devastating earthquake, he himself organised aid to those affected. Sadly, it had tragic consequences and Roberto Clemente himself was on board a relief plane carrying supplies from Puerto Rico to Nicaragua when it crashed into the sea on New Year's Eve. There were no survivors and Puerto Rico had lost its favourite son. In March 1973, the Baseball Writers Association of America held a special meeting and voted to waive the traditional waiting period and posthumously elected Roberto Clemente into Baseball's Hall of Fame. The Pittsburgh Pirates retired his jersey number, number 21, and also in that year, the MLB renamed their new Commissioner's Award, which had been inaugurated in 1971 as the Roberto Clemente Award. The award is given annually to a player who demonstrates the values Hall of Famer Roberto Clemente displayed in his commitment to the community and understanding the value of helping others. Recent winners of the award include David Ortiz and Derek Jeter, a fitting legacy to one of baseball's true legends. Every baseball fan knows that music means only one thing. It's the seventh inning stretch, and here in the Highland bullpen, that means it's time for a quiz. Okay, gentlemen, shall we uh, have a go at this week's quiz? And uh, we're going to have a different lead-off man this week, I think. Dave, if that's all right with you, what's your speed like on getting to first base? I've got a few questions on nicknames throughout the years. And uh, this gentleman, and we've mentioned him a few times on this series, and no, it's not Ted Williams. I'll give you a clue, Israel. They had many nicknames. I think one we haven't um, mentioned was he was known as the Sultan, I've got to say this very carefully, the Sultan of Swat. And he was quite well known for his uh, home runs uh, back in the early part of the 20th century. So pretty much exactly 100 years ago, he was, we've mentioned him a while ago, I think it was one of uh, Rich's questions to me the other week. I'm going to just go out on a limb. Um, I, again, I, I can't put any real rationale behind this other than I'm thinking about the babe. Absolutely right, yeah. He was um, known as the babe, the bambino, but the sultan of swat. I don't know mm. exactly ring off the uh, tongue, does it? But uh, yeah, I think he used to just swat the ball over the, uh, over the wall. Uh, well done, Dave, lad. So, do you want to 
take another question for home to get a run. Yeah, go on. I'll take another one. Okay. Well, actually, this was something that you um, touched upon uh, last week, and it was about uh, Cal Ripken Jr., who played in that incredible amount of consecutive games for the Baltimore Orioles from 1982 to 1998. I remember it kind of happening, and uh, the guy on the Channel 5 saying, well, now we know the number to remember. And I couldn't remember it for years, and I finally found a way of remembering it. I know you you know it because you said it last week. And uh, being a man who likes roulette, um, I can think it's 2632, two numbers who are just around zero. So that's how I kind of committed that to memory. But because of this incredible streak, he had um, a pretty cool nickname. Can you remember what his nickname was? Is it Marvel related as well? It could be, although you <laughs> Oh, the Hulk? No. Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, he is the Iron Man. Absolutely right, Dave. Yeah, it's got you home. Well done, mate. Smashing. So, Rich, you ready yourself? Yeah, I'm, feel, I'm feeling the pressure after Dave Jr. managed to, and, uh, to run the board. These are sort of quite good questions, but I think they're quite tricky because uh, they're going back over the years. The first one's got a bit of a long intro. I'll give a few clues, and um, I like this one. Uh, so this son of Italian immigrants was christened Lorenzo Pietro Berra, although his name was anglicised to Lawrence Peter Berra. The baseball world, however, knows this New York Yankee catcher by a simple four-letter nickname. He called for the Yankees between 1946 and 1963. I think he eventually managed and coached them. He's, um, yeah, I think his number was retired as well. It's one of those strange ones. Uh, I think his number was retired along with another guy from the Yankees who also had the same number. Any ideas? Uh, well, hopefully I won't make a boo-boo and hopefully I'll prove I'm smarter than the average bullpen. <laughs> but oh, I'll, I'll go for Yogi Berra. Fantastic! Yeah, it's one of my one of my favourite ones, and uh, I've always assumed uh, that it was to do with the cartoon character. I sort of when I was setting these questions a while back, I had a look at it, and you know, there's some suggestion that he was, he was quite a, a striking looking individual, quite a small guy, and he's a catcher, so he squatted a lot. And I think uh, one of his teammates actually suggested that he looked like a yogi, sort of an Indian um, mystic. Uh, is that right? Are they, are they called yogis? Anyway, we'll move quickly on. Give you, give you a chance to go for home. No, uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, I think actually the timing of it would mean that Yogi Bear, the cartoon figure, was named after Yogi Berra, actually, and that makes sense timing-wise, which hadn't occurred to me. Ah, yeah, it could, could be, actually, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, I think the baseball I think the baseball yogi predates the uh, Hanna-Barbera yeah, yogi, so I think that's... Uh... Yeah, he was certainly um, in the, the, the 40s, so I don't... My knowledge of cartoon characters is not, not that great, but... Um, okay, so we'll give you another one to go for home, and I'm thinking of... Yeah, so I don't know if you've uh, 
heard of the famous Reggie Jackson, who um, was, uh, he played for um, postseason for the Oakland A's and the Yankees between 1967 and 1981. I think he hit, um, famously hit three consecutive home runs at Yankee Stadium, Stadium clinching the game six of the 1977 World Series. And such was his uh, quality during the postseason. He was given a nick, famous nickname, which um, is sort of... Uh, I was going to do this the other way around and give you the nickname and ask for the name, but um, I'm looking for the nickname. And if you think about when the postseason comes down to the, the final games in the World Series, when that is played... His nickname is associated with that, if that gives you a clue or makes it more obscure. At least gives me a fighting chance. I think that at least puts me on base. I wouldn't have got near that otherwise, to be honest with you. Uh, the World Series is normally played uh, October. October. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, now I'm in trouble. I don't know what the October person or October list would be. Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of what he's, he's called. His nickname is Mr. October. Oh, um, well, Mr. October. Well, we, I, I, I don't know if that's close enough. I'll have to throw myself in the umpire's mercy. Maybe that'll get the fair to New York then for the decision. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go on to the. We'll get on to the. Uh, who is it that looks after those? Because they, they, they're still sitting, aren't they? Because occasionally you do see them phoning through. A query on a call. So where are they? I think it is New York, isn't it? Uh, Dave Junior, if that's right, isn't it? New York's yeah. a kind of hub for the for the it's, video decisions. I'm just really surprised that um, I, I, sorry, I'm not surprised that Richard didn't realise that meaningful games took place in October, given that he's a Mariners fan. <laughs> yeah, I thought the season ended quite a long while before then. <laughs> I would point out the Mariners are still in with a live playoff <laughs> shout against all my expectations. They're uh, I, closing in in yeah, 500 I, and actually getting, they, they've got a real shout. I, nev- I never understood that, but when I was in Chicago <clears throat> the year the Cubs won the World Series, I was I was there in October and I couldn't understand. I was having a look at the, the various concessions selling T-shirts and they were like labelled October Baseball. And I remember thinking, this is just weird. Why do you sell T-shirts with a month? A month's name on it, but um, I, I quickly worked out why and what it was for. But it's 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 quite cool the fact that it actually goes into a separate month and it can then be termed October baseball. Cool. And if I shall make Mister October anytime. <laughs> okay. Well, Alan, your own questions. Sure. Um, let's see. So this is going back a bit as well to uh, another famous player, and um, this is another Yankee, and. Um, in 1941, this Yankee center fielder, nicknamed the Yankee Clipper, had a hitting streak that lasted 56 consecutive games, which is still a record today. I don't think anyone really ever gets anywhere close to it, really. Can you name him without, without a clue? If you, I'll give you a clue if you, if you can't get it. Am I right in thinking his initials are the same? His two initials are the same? Um, no. no, his his wife 
Ralph's uh, initials were the same, but which is going to be the clue. Right. Oh. He was. <laughs> I, I was. I was caught between two people, so I've gone. Well, I'll now go for hopefully the right one, which um, that famous pizza restaurant chain of uh, Joe DiMaggio. Correct. Spot on. Yeah, amazing, really, to think uh, 56 consecutive games. So yeah. that would be pretty much getting a hit in every one of uh, the games of this regular regular season. Uh, I don't know. Got, I think maybe Pete Rose uh, had a good go at it right. uh, going back a few years. That's pretty impressive. So, yeah. So if you want to go for home, this is quite tricky. It's a bit more recent, but still over over 20 years ago. And uh, these guys were have a collective nickname. And um, they were going strong for the Houston Astros in the in the 90s. And there was three or four of them, sort of at least a quartet of hitters. Uh, Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, I think his son is playing just now, Kevin Biggio. Yeah. Um, Sean Berry and Derek Bell. And they were collectively, they were fearsome hitters when, uh, in the 90s. And they were given a collective nickname that I particularly like. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I would have no idea on that, Dave. Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one. I think that talking oh. in terms, if you, if you look at the, look uh, at the, names. the surnames. Start oh, the surnames? The surnames were Bagwell, Biggio, Barry. And Bell, I think there was another guy, was sort of uh, Lance Berkman. I think it was all their surnames began with the same letter. They're talking in terms of a new um, sort of breed of uh, this nickname, Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. Bellinger and uh, I think there's another one uh, over there, Austin Barnes, who could well become the next generation of these guys. It sounds like a, like a a horror movie, dare I say, a B movie. Movies aren't my thing, so I'll be struggling with that. Um, the Bat it's Boys. It's a sticky one if you weren't watching baseball around that time. But uh, the, the Bat Boys. They were, well, could be. It was actually they were known as the Killer Bees. Killer Bees. That's a tremendous nickname. It, it was. They were pr- pretty well. I mean, they were fantastic to watch. Really, really were. And um, anyway, yeah. So look them up. Worth looking for. So well done, Dave. You got a run there. Yeah, this is sort of the eighth inning, isn't it? We'll have to top up the scores and see where we are. And next next week, uh, next round, call it a wrap for the first full quiz. Can I just check? Has a verdict come in from New York yet? I know you know I'd had to go to New York for whether I was getting my run or not. Yeah, well, looking at the looking at the scores, I think you're sort of way ahead. So that maybe they took that into account. But I was getting the getting the thumbs down from New York. Sorry, sorry, Rich. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. It was a a bit of a stretch, and I think I definitely get tagged out before I reached base. There, that was fine. So there you have it. Heartbreak for me this week in the seventh inning stretch quiz. And now the bullpen bros are hot in my heels. Tune in next week to find out if I can hold them off in the ninth innings. Until then, have a fantastic week on behalf of myself, my fellow bullpen bros, Alan, Dave Ince, Dave Jr. And of course, Hamish, the Highland bullpen mascot. Have a fantastic week. Keep listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean and all your favourite 
podcast platforms. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week in the bullpen. 